Hello, and welcome to the Slingshot Group podcast, where we tackle the leadership topics everyone is thinking about, but no one is talking about. And now, let's join our hosts. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Slingshot Group podcast. I am Vance Martin. I'm joined with my two friends. David Miller. And Keith Robinson. So great for you guys to join us today. We're talking about something pretty cool. Surprise! It's not just for the marketplace. We're talking about communications and marketing and how it can affect your church because it's affecting your church, whether you know it or not. Mm. Yep. It just so happens that we're sitting here today. Keith is our senior associate of our communications division um, for Slingshot. He's brilliant with all of this. Keith, this is something we see as a growing issue. And I think our podcast is, you know, our little subtitle is things that people are thinking about, but nobody's talking about. This one might be something that people aren't even thinking about and knowing what an impact communications and how people are portraying their brand and their marketing on the digital space and why it matters. Keith, tell us just a little bit. Why does this matter so much for churches? Yeah, great question. And thanks for, you know, just having this conversation because... Well, because the digital revolution has forced us to rethink how we reach and connect with people. And I'll share a perfect example of that. I was just with a group of pastors recently, and and one of them asked me, Keith, does this really make a difference? What we're doing on social media, our website. And he was still struggling to connect the dot between the activity and the impact. And so the reason that I see that this matters so much is because people in our community they still want and need to see stories of hope. We have the greatest story of all, right? Right, right. And we have this incredible opportunity through digital platforms to really invest in our community and to build trust. And at the same time, I think there's just this lack of understanding. And I'm sure you guys have run into this too, this idea of marketing, the word marketing alone. For some, in some contexts, people hear that and they immediately think that it's you know, it's a dirty word. It's a bad word. It shouldn't be something that the church is doing. Sure. Like a telemarketer. Right. Well, it feels like it's about manipulation. I think when when a person that doesn't know hears marketing, they what they hear is, I'm you want me to manipulate people. And so I mean I'm always curious and learning from you, man, like how is that different? How is marketing different from manipulation? Yeah, great question. Um, I read a recent stat that 200 million Americans have recently registered their phone numbers on the do not call list. And what that tells us is the intrusion of marketing gimmicks. We've all been victims of it, right? Where we get calls during times and hours that we prefer that people would leave us alone. But marketing has invaded our personal lives in a way where people are actually saying, hey, stop, enough. What that tells us is that people are only going to pay attention to the things that they deem relevant. Because as we know, we live in a day and age where people are scrolling constantly through their social media feeds. They want the information so quickly. We live in a culture of immediate gratification where I can click on something, order it today, and maybe have it by the end of the day if I live near a distribution center. And so because of that, that, I, I think it becomes more and more important for the church to realize that we're not just on social platforms and we shouldn't just be using those to talk about what we're doing to just inform everybody. In fact, our, our communications and marketing efforts should always inspire more than they inform. 
And so the, the reason that this conversation is so important for the church is that whether you're a church of 20 or 20,000, you've been given a platform. Each of us have been allowed for many years to live essentially rent-free in these digital spaces, social media, our websites. We pay very little for this space. And so as you think about what it means to have a marketing strategy, I think that at a real basic level, the understanding that marketing is simply a promise. It's a promise that you're making to your audience that when they visit and connect with your church, that this is what their experience is going to be. Yeah, I've seen this done wrong where it does feel like you're trying to coax me towards something or you're trying to convince me of something or or mislead me towards something even that actually what you're putting out there on social is a better experience than what it would be like if I came to your church. And I, I can feel like that can be a little bit manipulative, but think that at least the the times that I've, I've used it and that we've used it, you know, or I've seen it used well in other churches and ministries and organizations is when it is a true representation of where you're wanting to take people and what it's going to be like, hey, if you come to our church, if you come to our ministry, if you come to this event, if you engage with us, this is kind of what it's going to be like. Because I've heard Tony Kim talk about this. And Tony Kim has been um, communications at New Song. He was also the executive pastor at New Song. He was a communications director at uh, Mariner's Church. Uh, Now he's doing all this incredible stuff within the Comic-Con world. Um, And so he's just, he's brilliant. And, and And I've heard him say this, and I know he's not the only one to say it this way, but he says that that your your marketing, your communication strategy is the front door of your ministry. It's the front door of your church. It used to be that someone's first experience with you as a speaker or first experience with your church or your congregation was going to be the first time they ever walked in and sat in your seats. Yeah, That's not the case anymore. Now, before anyone will ever actually take the time to show up at your church or show up in your ministry, the first time they'll do that is online. Yeah. The first time they'll do that is on your social media or on your website. And if they get on your website or they get on your social media platforms and they don't see themselves or see how they would fit into your context, they aren't coming for their first visit. That was their first visit. That's right. And I think what's happening is we put so much effort into the first experience, the worship set, the speaking, the experience. Once you enter the room, you know, the, uh, I've heard it said the street to seat experience. Churches are, are, are getting better and better at helping with that experience and working hard on that experience. But still far too many are neglecting what the actual first interaction is going to be. It's the first view before they ever don the doors. Right. Yeah. It's the first physical experience, but not their first experience. And because that's so critical, just jump on kind of what you were saying, David. Um, you know, Keith, you said we need to have a marketing strategy. And I think everybody has a marketing strategy. There's a marketing strategy at play. Whether it's intentional or not is the difference. Because whatever you're putting out there, that's your first impression. That is your brand. That is your strategy. Because people are looking at what you're posting. You are what you're posting. There was a, a church that we we have been working with and saw on their social media post a retreat for students. 
And, you know, some of the, some of the images that when I think of a retreat for students, it could be anything from, you know, like I'm thinking a worship experience or kids out in a field, like doing stuff and, you know, action and movement and things that students want to be a part of is creating that overall image of like what you were saying, David, this is what this is going to be about. The image that this church used was the conference center cafeteria lodge. And it was a room full of round tables and chairs around it. And that was the leading image for this student ministry retreat. Riveting. Sign me up. I am in. Yes. Like, sign me. How much? Take my money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, <laughs> that's the brand strategy. They weren't putting the right level of value, especially for what this audience is. That spoke volumes about what that retreat was. And that's why it's so critical and churches can either choose to put their head in the sand and know that your brand is going before you. Like you have a brand. And if you don't look at your brand, it's shaping and probably deterring people from experiencing that first physical experience, which that's really, what is this about? It's not really about getting people into our doors. It's about having a true experience with God, an encounter with God. So it's a piece. It is not disconnected, right? They're connected directly. That physical experience and that online experience are directly connected. Well, guys, this has been a great conversation. And the cool thing is we're just getting started with this conversation. It is, uh, the party's about to get real up in here. We've got Mark Miller. He's the president of Historic Agency and uh, is actually the secret sauce of the Slingshot brand. They work with us and all other types of churches, nonprofits, and just amazing. His knowledge in this space is amazing. So you guys are gonna enjoy this conversation. Well, today I'm joined by my good friend, Mark Miller. Mark is one of the managing partners of Historic Agency. Historic is an innovation and design partner that provides breakthrough branding, marketing, and product development for ministries, for churches, for nonprofits, and for businesses. Mark, it is just so great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Well, a lot of people have seen your work and they probably don't even know it. Uh, that, that might be true. We've, uh, we've had the pleasure of working with some very large ministry brands, um, kingdom-focused organizations like Slingshot Group, Rooted, the Discipleship Curriculum from Mariners, uh, Saddleback and Purpose Driven Church, uh, Barna and some others. Uh, and so we've just been really blessed to invest in organizations and partner with organizations who we think are making a difference in the kingdom. Yeah, love that. And Mark, I get to see your work and your team's work day in and day out because of how you help us at Slingshot to tell our story. And I just got to say that I'm so proud of the work that you've done for us. Our look and our feel is just so on point. And you absolutely understand the value of what we're talking about today. Yeah, we've done all the work that uh, all you listeners like. So uh, <laughs> anything you didn't like, we didn't do. Yeah. Just kidding. But uh, yeah, no, it's been a great uh, getting to know you and the team and Monty and Stan and all the guys and gals uh, at Slingshot. And Mark, I just got to tell you that we at Slingshot Group are so grateful for you and the amazing team at Historic Agency. We get to be on the receiving end of you and your team's hard work and how you operate is, it's amazing to watch because you get us and you understand our values. And I think uh, that comes out in our language, our look and our feel. 
So that's a perfect segue into today's conversation on our episode. We're talking about marketing. We're talking about why digital platforms matter and the intersection of technology and ministry. I want to have that conversation with you today. I want us to talk about this because I think that you can help us to understand it. One of the things that I think is important is just starting at the beginning, I'm amazed that I still have conversations with leaders who think that this is only for the marketplace. Uh, what is brand? What is marketing? Mark, take us to school. Give us an education. What do we need to know about this? Yeah, I think a lot of ministries and churches, nonprofits, uh and people not in the industry confuse brand with logo. Uh, and so your visual identity, which is your logo, um, isn't necessarily your brand. Now it's, it's tied to your brand, but I think, um, when I try to explain what brand is, um, I use a Jeff Bezos quote. Um, famously he says that, uh, your brand is what people say when you leave the room. Uh, I think I'm paraphrasing there, but that, that idea that it's, it's the collective effort of all of your marketing communications, your experience, the conversations, that you have uh, that drive people's understanding of your organization or ministry. And so when you have all those different channels, all those different pieces of collateral or efforts that you're, you're doing, when they're working together, uh, they should be pointing to a larger narrative or values or what we call brand for your organization. Mark, that is so good. Can you talk a little bit about some of the errors that you've seen organizations make in their thinking at maybe the senior level? when it comes to this idea of marketing and communications and brand and why it matters so much that we get this right. Yeah, I, th I think um, one is just understanding it. So the ministries that uh, are really uh, successful at branding are the ones that realize that the bathrooms matter as much as your logo, right? That, that, that entire experience. And the more probably challenging thing for ministries is to understand that you're not, it's not just about your brand as an organization, but you're also a representation of Jesus's brand. And how does that play into your story? And then, uh, the execution of taking your brand and implementing it into your organization is where we see a lot of uh, ministries fail. They redo logo, they redo messaging, and they think this is the, the greatest thing. And they, they plant a flag on top of a hill and then they get back down, they go back to their, your, their busy work and, and people, they forget. They don't uh, develop programs and systems around their brand. So they'll, they'll continue to do things that, you know, if we, we say, you know, we're, we're an organization that is, you know, focusing on orphans as an example, or foster care. We want to eliminate the foster care in our state. That's a, a lot of churches are involved in that. And uh, that's a component of their brand. They'll put a bunch of resource to a lot of other things that aren't anything near kind of that value. Um, and then the, the other thing that we see really common that we, we coach and work with clients on is their organizational values that should be a reflection of the brand that they're trying to build usually aren't unique. So it's love God, love people, um, change the world or love the world. And every church is, that's their mandate, right? And right. so it's interesting to have those conversations and, and kind of say, hey, you know, God actually created you for a specific person. He's placed, you know, this church in, 
Indiana for a specific reason? You know, what are those reasons? What are they, what has he called you to do specifically and how can we build uh, on top of that? Wow, Mark, that's so good. I want to go back to something you said just a minute ago about the fact that our brand is not just our logo. And yet we often associate our brand with visual identity. That's where we start. But for those that produce content, we know that we have a story to tell. And so our brand is so much more than just our logo. It's more than our visual identity. But therein lies a trap a trap for churches or any organization for that matter to just chase cool. Talk a little bit about where you've seen that play out. Yeah, uh, so to avoid that trap, if you wanna go after cool, um, do what's cool for your audience. And so that that's just my way of reiterating who is your audience, who are you trying to reach? And that should be dictating what cool is and not the church down the street. So a lot of times, you know, we have clients all over the country and they're like striving to be the next Hillsong and their audience is not Hillsong's audience, right? Their audience is going to be a church that's in the Southeast and they're in a non-churched community um, that's very transient. Uh, Most people only live there for a three-year window and they're unchurched and they are maybe stylistically not in the in the vein of of Hillsong um, or Elevation or some of these other churches that they're and so trying to build a church that is quote unquote relevant in that context is actually a church that is looking at their their audience and saying, hey, this is what the messaging that works, this is what they like to see. These are other brands, so let's mimic that because they, they are reflective of the audience we're trying to reach um, that God's called us to uniquely reach instead of just copying a church from two towns over. So if you're gonna, do, if you're gonna chase cool, do what's cool for your audience. So good, Mark. And you are on the front lines of this conversation, helping so many great organizations and ministries and churches. And with that in mind, what would you say delineates the ones who have clarity around this and those who struggle to stand out in their messaging? Yeah, I think some are disciplined at this and some kind of walk into it with other partners, um, but are trusting in this situation and uh, the thinking of what is possible and uh, what we can accomplish today. And that gap between what we can accomplish today and what is possible is what I, is where I see innovation lives, right? Um, that that difference and that gap is where innovation lives. And ironically, it's also the story of the gospel, right? So it's when I look at my own life and what Jesus has done for me and just the, his being able to be reconciled back to God through through Jesus dying on the cross and that that space is where Jesus lives, right? He's, he is making my life today and what we're able to do now because of Jesus. And so that, that space I think is kind of, Interesting that innovation and the gospel kind of go live in the same in the same space. Yeah, you just hit on something that I think is really profound and worth exploring a bit more. You know, we should be cultivating an atmosphere where our teams are encouraged to take risks. Absolutely, yeah. That's what faith is. It's a risk. So why are we so risk averse when it comes to technology and using digital strategies to connect with our audience? Yeah, I tell our clients, if you don't realize your ministry is a technology company, I guarantee you the guy who replaces you does. Technology is changing human behavior at a really fast rate, right? Think about how you lived your life before 2007 to the way people or how you live your life today. And 2007 was the year the iPhone was released. And 
the screen time, the how, what we're able to do just on our phone and answer questions. I mean, I don't know how many times I'm in a, in a conversation with friends, right? And you get in this like a little fun banter of like, who's right about a question. And you're like, pull out your phone and you're able to answer that right away. And that didn't exist that long ago, right? And so understanding technology and how to leverage it. And I think the, again, going back to the ministries that are doing interesting things, I think realize technology is a way to connect people and, and bring them into relationship with each other and Jesus and, and aren't afraid that it's going to be a substitute. Those who understand that it is a tool to get there and it's not a substitute are the ones who I think are doing interesting things and are bringing uh, the kingdom to places that, that, ha- that hasn't been before. I mean, I look at 10, 15 years ago where the Bible translations were and who had access to the Bible. And now thanks to version and other orgs and technology groups, every smartphone has access to the Bible. Now there's some government restrictions, but for the most part, it's in everyone's pocket, right? That didn't exist 15 years ago, but now it becomes a tool to strive when you, you read the scriptures, you know? Yeah. And I want to go back to something else that you said a couple of minutes ago. In 2007, a radical shift in behavior occurred. And whether or not you were an early adopter of this digital device called the iPhone, it changed the game for everyone. I mean, think about it. 10 years before this, people would never have thought or accepted the fact that you would buy a car online. Yeah, or a house. Sight unseen, right? And yet, now, we know that most decisions start in the digital space. So what sort of implications does this have for churches and for ministries today? Well, I I think it's interesting to follow the changes in human behavior. And um, when we look at innovation and how things like um, iPhone or the smartphone revolution might change us, um, one of the things that you look at great innovators, they're not afraid and they're not ignorant to outside forces. And so they look at, or market forces, right? Sometimes they're called in business. And what are those changes that are happening and how do we uh, leverage them for the good of what we're trying to accomplish? And when you put your head in the sand, that's where I think challenges creep up, right? You you wake up one day and you realize if because of, of the smartphone, people's attention is drastically shorter, you know, seconds now, the way you communicate, how you communicate to get people's attention and to move them into a, even a discipleship process is got to be radically different. That is so, so good. And Mark, we now live in a world where we're so inundated with different tools that promise to help us do what we do more effectively with so many apps that promise to increase our productivity and our efficiency. So there's a lot of noise out there in this space when it comes to technology and how ministries should be using it and applying it to what we're doing. So how can we know that we're on the right track at creating space for innovation in our ministries? So here's a handful of things that we see that organizations that are are innovating, especially in a ministry context, um, that they do that sometimes isn't common in a ministry context. Wink, wink. So, um, so listening to truth, right? That's, that's one way we phrase it, but it really is. Do you as a, as a leader, especially if you're a senior leader, have someone that you trust that can give you a dissenting view? And those who, who do are often looking at further, further out on the horizon, right? Going back to that, what is possible to where we are, where we are today. And, So having someone who you trust that is of character that can give you a dissenting view and speak into 
what is working and what's not working because a lot of times in ministry we get there's so much to do so little time so little resource and this this the first sign of something that may be positive we run hard to that right and that that positivity that effectiveness may be a half inch deep and we never take the time to step away and look at the the larger picture um so that's that's one yeah you know, Mark, that just reminded me of something that you said to me earlier today, just before we jumped into this interview. It was something that you heard Jack Welch say at a leadership conference. And I believe that it's so fitting for this conversation that we're having. What was it he said that struck you that day? Oh, yeah. The, uh, this is one, uh, he has two quotes. The first one, which has nothing to do with what, what we're talking about now is, well, kind of maybe, is uh, just because you're non-profit doesn't mean you should be non-performance. So any non-profit person listening out there, hold your people accountable, soapbox. Uh, second, the uh, other quote is, he said, you know, paraphrasing again, is, I never looked back and wish I made change slower. And that is, that's so true that you know internally in our culture at historic we it, we value the speed of decision making and if you can make decisions even if they're the wrong one fast enough we think there's time to recover and learn from those mistakes learn from those failures and have a better response after than spending a ton of time oh let's go get some more people's input some more people's input some more people's input some more people's input and then you're just like by the time you make the decision the information you're working off of is actually dated yeah so true and such a great reminder that leaders who lean in to that kind of feedback are really those who don't want to miss what God is doing in this moment. Uh, what else would you say? Um, another one is uh, what we call moonshot vision. And those are leaders. And most of you, we, we're praying that you, you have that moonshot vision. You know, you look at um, getting to the moon. When JFK announced that, it was physically not possible. And in a, a shortly after, you know, less than a decade, it was nine years or something like that, we landed a man on the moon. And the things that came out of that were amazing. And modern day Velcro, and if you post on the comments saying that Velcro was actually invented before, I know, but just the modern way, the materials we currently use, Tang, you know, all the other random yeah. NASA stuff. But the, the thinking there is if you can shoot for the moon, um, even if you fail, whatever you fail at is probably going to be greater than what you originally thought, right? And so do you have, do you, and some of it goes back to risk and the ability to make change quickly is, are, are you one of those people to, to say, okay, let's, let's, let's shoot for that bigger vision than the one that we think we can accomplish. Um, and a couple of things that come out of that that are, are really, really interesting. It's not just great innovation, right? That you'll innovate maybe a little further than you thought, but it also attracts talent when you do that. And NASA, as an example, the average age a NASA engineer during the, the Apollo program was 28, and I think it's 46 now. And so if you're thinking about attracting younger talent um, that is willing to try new things and be innovative and talent, I think um, having that greater vision to do the thing that could be possible is a, a real game changer in, a, in attracting talent. Yeah, and on that note, I was gonna say that the most exciting environment that I can ever remember working in was one where my senior pastor would often say to our staff, I want you guys shooting for the moon, even if you hit the lamppost on the way up. And what he was effectively saying to us was, it's okay to try really hard and fail here. 
Uh, forgive the fact that I'm mixing metaphors now, but with that kind of permission, you want to swing for the fences every time you get up to the plate. Yeah. I worked under a senior pastor, uh, similar to two senior pastors, Gary Kinnaman and then uh, Terry Chris, who's the pastor of Hillsong Phoenix. And the amount of uh, freedom that I had to, I mean, especially with Terry, I mean, I was 21, I think, running all of communications for, you know, two campus, uh, I don't know, close to 10,000 member church at wow. the time. Like, and, you know, uh, and so, you know, we did a lot of crazy things, right? And we had, we were able to build a really cool creative team with very little money through volunteers and recruiting s- staff that were willing to give up their careers to come and work in an environment that was a moonshot environment. So we, we also see, which I talked a little bit about before, ignoring outside forces. And then this other thing, which sometimes can be difficult, uh, is admitting when you're wrong. And that sounds like, you know, hey, be the first to forgive, you know, all the uh, characteristics that we would aspire to be if we're aspiring to be like Jesus, right? That this idea that sometimes we have these, we birth these programs or experiences or products or things that we think are so right. And uh, sometimes they're not right. And if you can admit, the faster you can admit when you are wrong, uh, the faster you can pivot. Uh, and the, again, going back to, to our culture here at Historic, the faster you're able to move on and take those experiences and use them for the greater good and move into the next thing that you're trying to accomplish. An- another uh, quote, I, c- I can't remember who said, I think it was Warren Buffett, but it's you know the story of this young leader taking over for a big you know, CEO type investment firm. You know, how do you, how do you, you've built this company or whatever into millions and millions, billions and billions of dollars, trillions of dollars, whatever it is. And the young leader asks the exiting, retiring leader, you know, what's your secret to success? He responds really simply, you just make all the right decisions. And then the, the younger leader asks, well, how do you know how to make the right decisions? You make bad ones. And so we think that that's super important for innovation and creativity is being able to learn from those past failures and having a space that you can fail. And so again, admitting uh, when you're wrong, I think is is a key component. And so those are just a few things that we see in organizations that are innovating some behaviors that we just thought, huh, that's interesting. Yeah, and all of this ties into how we're telling our story. And for all intents and purposes, that's what we're saying when we say the word marketing. Uh, For the church and for ministries today, it's our story. But it's not just our story. It's the story of what God is doing and where God is at work around us. So Mark, with that in mind, let's talk for a minute about social media. Because these really are platforms that are designed for storytelling. And this is something that a lot of churches and ministries are still trying to figure out. Some are struggling with it. What would you say maybe in particular to senior leaders who are looking for a silver bullet or maybe they don't see the value or the impact that these platforms can have for their ministries? Yeah, I think um, there are a lot of people that are touting quick fixes to different things, right? You know, do this, do that, do that. There's a lot of great strategies out there. Not saying any of them are bad. Uh, but what I, I would say is, you know, especially to pastors, you know, senior pastors out there that might be listening, 
to have a huge online following that you can mobilize and develop value from by getting people to show up to events or whatever it might be, right? Is think about it as planning a church. How long did it take you to get to where you are, right? To get that inner core of people who are just on fire for the mission and vision. They, they see God working in your life. They, they, they see God working in the church. They want to be the hands and feet of Jesus into their community. They see an opportunity for that. It took time, probably a long time. And so time is usually one of those benefits that we don't want to give away, right? Because it's, it's finite. But in social media, if you can give time to that young guy who's, or gal who's working on social media, those young leaders that are spending the time in experimenting, um, being, in, being consistent, I think that's going to have a lot, of, a lot of payoff. And, you know, there people who think that social media is still not, you know, how do you convert it? And, you know, on the business side, is it, is it valuable enough? Can we use it for fundraising? Can we do this? You know, what, what's the value to the church? You know, you can, there's story after story of, of outliers of, of how successful social media can be. Right. And my favorite is, um, old spice. And so there was a season where they were doing those crazy old spice commercials. Um, the guys know shirts running around doing crazy stuff. And there is a season where they did, I think they did two of these. They went on Twitter, people could post any comment or question, and they made a video of that crazy comment or question or answer to that question um, in real time. And the, f- every, the two times they did that, the following day, Old Spice sold through the roof. And so it, it can convert. You have to think through what it is that we're asking people to do. And first, before you do that, is to provide value, right? So like in Old Spice case, they're providing entertaining content, right? Over and over and over again. And I think with with churches, it's thinking through, how are we making people's lives better every day? And specifically, how is Jesus able to make your life uh, better? And, and, you know, I'll put quotes around better because gospel doesn't necessarily say it's gonna be easier, but it's a life of freedom. And that is, I think, um, a challenge because sometimes it's it's posting about you know your men's retreat over and over and over again, right. uh, and and there may be a season for that, not every day, right? right. So like that's the I think the challenge um, pastors need to to work through. Yeah, that's a tension though, right? The fact that our communications efforts should inspire more than they inform. And yet the thing that we want to do first with these platforms is to tell everyone everything about what we're doing. So how can we find balance here? Yeah, there are a lot of uh, different takes on this. I think, you know, we we always look at it at uh, whether it's content marketing or social media or branding that we want to make more deposits uh, into the relationship with the person that we're engaging than withdraws. And so that frequency, that frequency might be different for everybody because it depends on how much content you can generate and how fast you, you generate that content. But it could be like one in five, one in 10. Um, and it also depends on the ask. So when I say one in five or one in 10 or one in seven, somewhere in between those two, it's uh, basically for every uh, one ask or withdraw, then uh, for every five kind of value add things, right? And a lot of times churches will see, will say, okay, we need content. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll post about, we'll just post about events all day, right? And so events 
are not content, right? If you're promoting an event, that's not content. So I just want to clarify, that's not the value content that we're talking about because uh, that has an ask to it, right? And so every time you're basically saying, hey, show up to this, show up to this, show up to this. So that's a withdraw. And then same thing with those who might be in the nonprofit space. So when you're talking about donor relationships, you want to invest in in those before you make withdrawals. And so we like to say you won't communicate twice as much than the frequency you wish to receive a donation. So an example would be if I'm communicate if I'm asking for a monthly donation, a recurring monthly donation, then I should be getting two forms of communication yeah. a month. Or if it's twice and if I'm I'm asking for two gifts a year, then I'm getting four pieces of communication. Um, so you're you're making those deposits. So uh, it's really clear, right? The the value I'm getting is greater than the investment I'm making. It's because people want to see where as especially as technology develops um, donors becoming more educated right and so they're with organizations like charity water and others that are giving you real-time information about what they're doing and um, and where your money is going the expectation for donors is is going up right and so being able to tell that story is is really important yeah so good well mark it's been awesome to have you on the program today and as our listeners can tell, you guys get this stuff. You all bleed this stuff. It's not just something that you like to talk about. In fact, it's something that you've done, Mark, for many years, even as a staff member at the local church level, which is some sort of bragging right that you acquire, I believe. <laughs> yeah. You know, my personal experience is I was, you know, on staff at two mega churches. And then I was on staff at a technology company that serves the local church um, and had the great opportunity to work with the 700 largest churches in the country through through that company and worked with the one of the largest missions organizations in the country as well. And that entire time, my job was prior to historic coming in and retooling, marketing, communications, um, and in some cases, parts of the organization as it relates to, you know, marketing, driving, product or service development, right? And that, you know, was just a really interesting time to cut my teeth. And so I'm grateful every day for that experience and God did some amazing things. We get giddy about the local church. We still believe that it has the power to, to change the world. That's just so good. Mark, thank you again so much for being here today. And as we wrap up, what's the one thing that you'd encourage church leaders, nonprofit leaders, ministry leaders with today about embracing this conversation, about embracing marketing, brand, the intersection of technology and ministry, and ultimately creating more space for innovation in what we're doing? I would say um, an encouragement I would have is be encouraging to apostolic leaders. And so there, there is a person in your organization that is more interested in impacting people than they are in following the rules. And that person with the right guidance and investment and mentorship is the, is the person that is probably primed to take your organization to the next level. And a lot of times we feel threatened by these apostolic leaders who are people who want to start things and build things and create things. And, and we want to kind of tamper it down or control it or put guardrails on it or whatever. But if they're you know really interested in about serving people and making a difference in their life, that 
I think is an opportunity there to, um, to water that seed and, and see what, what God does with it. You know, at the end of the day, you know, whether it's my business historic agency or uh, a nonprofit or a church of, as followers of Jesus, we know that God controls everything. God owns everything. This is, we are stewards of his stuff. And so why not steward that resource well. Well, Mark, I just want to again say thank you so much for joining us today. I feel like you've added so much to this conversation. Thanks for having me. Also, be sure to check them out on social media to find out all that their team is getting up to these days and the great work that they're doing. Uh, Mark and I also want to take just a moment and we want to invite you to participate in our upcoming communications lab. We are going to be hosting a one-day event in Costa Mesa, California on Tuesday, September the 10th. This is going to be an all-day event uh, geared for senior leaders, church communications directors, and their teams anyone who's responsible for helping produce content or ensure that messaging is consistent and clear across all channels. If you're at all working in this space or passionate about your church, your nonprofit, your organization, being more effective at storytelling and using digital platforms to connect with your audience, you do not want to miss this incredible one-day event. Uh, Registration is limited. You can go online right now to our website, uh, on our social media channels to find out more information. You can go to eventbrite.com and you can search for Slingshot Communications Lab to find out all the information to register. We would love to see you and your team join us for this incredible event that we're putting together. There's going to be an amazing lineup of speakers. You do not want to miss it. So be sure to check it out and we look forward to seeing you there. Get ready, everybody. It is now time for my absolute favorite part of this podcast. It is called Stories with Stan. Now, you don't know Stan, but you will. Stan is the co-founder of Slingshot Group, one of the best storytellers in the world. He's kind of like that great uncle that we all have that we look up to. He is an amazing influence on my life and he's hilarious. So sit back and get ready to hear some stories with Stan. So I went to a little Christian college in Illinois and I wanted to be a music major. So I got turned down everywhere else. Nobody would take me because I couldn't read music, trying to get into music schools. Everybody thought I was like, you gotta be kidding me, young man. So this school, because if you've got a checkbook and say you love Jesus, any Christian college will take you. And uh, so, so there's that. So um, I started in as a music composition major. I was the only one. And they had a book in the library and they said, well, maybe you can do a music composition thing and we'll see how that works. I go, that's, that's cool. So I, I loved every minute of it and practiced four hours a day for six years and and it was the greatest time because I really loved college. But there was a couple of things about the college experience that was a little bit tough for me. And one of them was we had a, a professor uh, in that college that if you Google the most boring professor, he would be he would be listed. Okay, so uh, I had to take even though I was a music major, I had to take some Old Testament classes. So I took the, the class was Ezekiel, and it was at seven o'clock in the morning. Wow. Now in Illinois, you know, we're sitting at Keith's table right now in his in his kitchen. It the the land is flatter than this table. 
you know, you can see for like 240 miles, you know, like just, <laughs> just straight across, you know. And I mean, you can, you can see the Washington Monument from Illinois. I mean, it's that flat. And so, uh, so I had to take this class. And, uh, and I took it this winter semester. It's, it's colder than the Antarctic, okay? <laughs> At 7 o'clock in the morning, it's so cold and it's dark. So we would go by the cafeteria and have breakfast at like at 6, 6.45 or 6.15, grab some runny scrambled eggs, and then we'd go get in this class. And there was 18 kids in the class, and there were six boys and 12 girls. And so the six boys, we sat in the second row straight across, and then the girls were just spread out behind us, you know. And this professor would start teaching about out of the book of Ezekiel. And uh, so it's freezing cold outside, and they turn the heat up, so at about 7.45, the room is now hot. And it's, it, you can get sleepy really easily. So this kid next to me named Dan, uh, he didn't like me, okay? And so which is, I'm happy that he sat next to me because of what happened. So... Um, there's a lot of description about him that I won't go into, but he and I didn't hit it off well. So he was sitting right next to me, and pretty soon we had the fold-over chairs, you know, the desk. So you fold it over and lean on them and write, take notes and stuff, which I was totally alert all the time and taking great notes. For sure. I wish I still had them today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I noticed Dan, he was had his arm like this with his in his chin, and... His eyes were closing, and I don't think he was praying. He was like, he was beginning, the room was hot. He's beginning to just punch out a little bit. And so he starts, and pretty soon, you know, you know it's, he's starting to go deep. And he would wake up, and when he did, his eyes would go real bright, and he would sit up straight, take a breath, and look around as if he's convincing everybody that he wasn't sleeping, okay? So then the next time, it would go a little bit deeper, well, by the third or fourth time, Dan was out. He was out cold. And his, like, his hair was sticking up, and he was saliva, and he was just... And the professor had half glasses, and he would look over them, and he'd look at Dan. While he was asleep, he wouldn't, he wouldn't refer to Dan, but he would look at him and go... He knew he was asleep. So at most Christian colleges, at the beginning or the end of the class, the professor will have prayer. And that particular day, we didn't have an opening prayer. And so it's, it's so quiet in this room, and it's so boring. And so Dan is out cold, and I don't know what came over me. But I had this thought that wouldn't it be great to wake him up. And so I waited for the right moment, and I, I leaned over to him, and I leaned into him real hard, and I said, the professor wants you to pray. <laughs> and he comes out of from nothing, I mean, out cold to... Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for this, for this wonderful day. We thank you, Lord, for the way we're learning. And he went on and on and on. The professor just watched him pray. And it's, there's still 20 minutes left. And so he finishes, and the professor looks at him and kind of does this. Says, thank you. Thank you, Dan. And that was, I don't know why I did it. I feel bad. You don't feel that bad. 
Well, it was a, it would it filled me with joy actually. <laughs> but that's my college prayer experience. Well, that concludes our first season of the Slingshot Group podcast. We hope that you've been encouraged by this content and found these conversations helpful for you as you navigate seasons of change in your life and leadership. And we just want to say that we're so privileged and honored to have this opportunity to be able to speak about some of the most pressing issues facing leaders today. We have been so blown away by the positive responses from so many of our listeners who have said, thank you for doing this. And Thank you for saying that. In fact, some of our listeners have recently suggested different topics that we might explore on our show. And there are so many more important conversations that we're committed to having. So we're coming back for another season in September. The best way to stay tuned and informed about the Slingshot Group podcast is to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'd love your feedback, so join us in that conversation. Also, be sure to visit us at slingshotgroup.org to find out more about how we build remarkable teams through staffing and coaching. On behalf of David and Vance and the whole crew at Slingshot Group, I want to say thank you. Thank you for joining us over these past couple of months. We know that the challenges that you face as a leader are real and can even feel insurmountable at times. And we want you to know more than anything that you're not alone out there and that none of us has it all figured out. We're better when we decide to do this together. So thanks so much for letting us be a part of your leadership journey. We hope that you'll come back and join us in season two. Until next time.